0: Great stuff. So we are starting a new series today on 1 Thessalonians. It's one of those letters that people perhaps aren't as familiar with as some of others of Paul's letters. But what we're going to do is over the next five weeks, we're going to take a little look at each of the little chapters in 1 Thessalonians with the exception of chapter 3. But the reason for that become apparent. So I'm going to kick off with chapter 1. Now the reason I called this series The Coming King is because in 1 Thessalonians, every section ends with a reference to Jesus Christ returning, Jesus coming back. And that's one of the key themes in the book. And we're going to look at that in detail when we have our Going Deeper session on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because of course, that chapter talks about Christ's return, us being raised up. So we're going to discuss things like what happens at the end of the world. What do we think about the rapture? What do we think about the end times? So we're going to have a bit of a discussion about that on that evening. But today I'm doing 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, in our house, we thought, in order to encourage one of our children in particular to learn to cook, we would do this HelloFresh thing. Now, some of you probably have done this. What happens is you get a delivery of food and the various recipes that you need in order to make the food. Brilliant. What could go wrong? So, one evening, one member of our family was due to cook, and I was in a, I was late. I was rushing out the door. So I gave them the recipe card, some garbled instruct, some instructions, very quickly, didn't have a lot of time to go into a lot of detail, and then I literally ran out of the door. Now, who here has been in that situation where you've given someone a set of instructions, and then you've left, and then you're thinking, what is going to happen? So, this is the situation. So, I did this, I raced out the door, and when I came back, I discovered a meal waiting for us, which was great. The only issue was, the member of our family had used all the mints for all the meals for the week in the one dish. So we had a mountain of mince with enough seasoning for one portion of mince spread over all of the mince. So needless to say, it was was a bit grim, really, if I'm honest. (laughs) It wasn't great. Now, why am I telling you this? There is a relevant point. The point is, Paul has arrived in Philippi, been arrested. He's left Philippi, gone to Thessaloniki, and over the course of three weeks, he gets to give them some instructions. But then there's a riot. The Jewish people don't like what Paul is saying, so they engineer a huge riot, and he flees for his life down to Berea. And then in Berea, he again preaches the gospel, but unfortunately another riot happens, and he flees from Berea to Athens. So we find Paul in Athens. Now, a bit like me, when I'd raced out of the house, having given my family member, I'm being very careful not to say which one, my family member a series of instructions, Paul is really worried about what's going to happen because he only had three weeks. He'd explained the gospel to this group of people, then fled. So in his mind, he's thinking, what are they going to have done with the ingredients I gave them? What are they going to have done with the information I've given them? How are they going to mangle it? How is it going to get mushed up? How is it going to be kind of pressured out of them? And so we find him at the beginning in Athens thinking about the church in Thessaloniki. And he says he's in Athens and when he couldn't stand it any longer, he sends Timothy to go and find out what kind of mess is happening in Thessaloniki without him. And so he sends Timothy, and then Timothy returns with the lowdown on how it's going. And the great news is, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. They had smashed it. So he'd raced off after three weeks of sharing the gospel with them, and the good news is, it had taken hold, it had taken root, They had been transformed and changed by it, and then they were heading on in the faith. Brilliant, brilliant news. Now, this is all explained to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, so we need to then go back to the beginning of chapter 1. So that's the context. That's what's going on. Paul knows they're smashing it, and now he's writing to them to encourage them to keep on smashing it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ... Grace and peace be to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. And deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. With the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the thing here is there's this key idea in this part of Thessalonians where Paul is saying it's a question of who are you imitating And what are you modeling to other people? So what are you imitating and what are you modeling? In other words, what is influencing you and how are you influencing others? So this first question, who influences you? We live in the world of the influencers. You may not know what an influencer is, what a social media influencer is, but it's someone who has a following. It's someone who is effectively using their platform, the fact that they have lots of followers, in order to influence those followers to do particular things. These are the top in the world at the moment. So did you know the number one person on Twitter is not Pete Mansfield? It is, in fact, Elon Musk. Now, I personally think the reason Elon Musk is number one is because he's a whole kind of bonkers. He does post some crazy, crazy stuff. So across the top, we've got the top Twitter accounts, and across the bottom, we have the top Instagram accounts for each part of the world. So the number one Instagram account in the world is Cristiano Ronaldo, a footballer. Interestingly, the number one Instagram account in Africa is, I think his name is Kabi Lami who you can follow on Instagram, he does these hilarious videos where basically he looks at stuff other people have made really complicated and then demonstrates how you can do it really simply. So he, his most, most watched video on TikTok is of someone using a cleaver to cut a banana into four sections and then he just peels the banana. And then he does... He, his videos are full of him kind of going... That's that's all it takes. And he is the most followed Instagram account in Africa. And actually all over the world. Loads of people watch his stuff. For those of you who don't know, that's Nicki Minaj, who is the most followed rapper. So these people are influencers. Cristiano Ronaldo earns, on average, £2 million for every product he puts in one of his Instagram videos. Because he has such a big following... People will see him using the product and therefore the idea is they will want to use it themselves. So these are influencers. Now the question is, Paul is also, according to his letter, a bit of an influencer. But the issue is how and why is he influencing people? What is he doing? Because the reality is influencers are doing it for money. They're doing it because they hope to get a return from doing it. And this is one of the issues in Thessalonians. Some people are accusing Paul of effectively being like a celebrity influencer. That actually the only reason he's doing all this preaching, sharing the gospel, is because he will receive a financial benefit himself. And he's saying this is absolute nonsense. That actually he has been influenced by Jesus, and he is passing that influence on to the Thessalonians. And so he uses this phrase to say you have become imitators of us and the Lord so yes he is an influencer but not because he wants a material benefit but because he wants to see lives changed by Jesus and he himself has been influenced he is passing on what he has received from Jesus into the lives of the guys in Thessalonians because here's the thing you and I are influence sponges Influence is all around us, and we are sponges for it. You might think you are a bit of an island, you live independently, and nothing changes you. That isn't so far from the truth. The reality is we soak up influence all the time. Good influence, bad influence. It's constantly coming at us. And the question is, what kind of influence are we taking on board? Because the reality is some of it is beneficial, some of it isn't. But if we just adopt a passive approach to this, we will just fill our lives with all kinds of stuff. Because that's the reality. Unless we are active and determined about what we allow to influence us, we're at the mercy of all kinds of voices around us. And who knows what kind of endpoint you'll get. I know if I go totally passive and I don't seek positive influence in my life, then I end up useless. I give in to all my cravings, my desires, and a bit like the characters in Wally, I'm of no good to anyone. I'll just watch stuff. I'll just eat stuff. I'll be consumed by my passions and my habits. And that's the road that just letting influence happen to you leads you down. Other people, other influences, get to decide the person you become. And so I think the challenge for us is to do a bit of a spiritual MOT. What we need to do is we need to stop and say, okay, all the influences in my life, the stuff I watch, the stuff I read, the stuff I listen to, the people I hang out with, the people I'm spending time with, how are they having an effect on me? And the barometer, I would argue, we can use is the fruit of the Spirit. That ultimately... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are the influences coming into your life growing your love? Are they increasing your joy? Are they leading to you having more peace? Are you becoming more patient? Or do you recognize that some of the influences in your life are making you angry, are making you anxious? are actually going in the opposite direction of this. And we have to be deliberate about this. So interestingly, my son, yesterday, on Saturday, no, Friday it was, sent me a link to a heavy metal band that he thought I'd like. And so I took a listen, and I decided I didn't want to continue to listen to it, because this particular band loved to flirt with a load of satanic stuff. And so I thought, it's just background noise whilst I'm working, but you know what, I don't want that stuff coming at me in my life. I just don't need it. I have agency. I can choose what I listen to. I can choose what things I allow into my head. So the reality is sometimes we need to make a choice and say, do you know what, that's not for me. I've got a mate who is absolutely obsessed with watching movies. He watches hundreds of movies in a year, but he will not watch anything over a certificate 15. Now, I think he's missing out on some great movies, but that is his decision. That's how he has decided to police some of the influences in his life. But my, ner- my question is, and I guess my nervousness is, most of us don't police our influences at all. Most of us just go with the flow. Most of us just allow stuff to come at us. And we're not particularly careful about what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, or who we spend time with. Because the question is, In order to become an imitator, that is an active step. Imitating involves actively choosing to put yourself in the presence of something that you want to see modeled in your own life. So Paul is challenging them and saying, you need to have good people in your lives, good role models that you can imitate because as they in turn are imitating Christ. And you will find that you yourself are imitating Christ. That's the call, isn't it, of Jesus? Come, follow me. Come, spend time with me. Come, imitate the way I'm doing life. And in doing that, you will model something to the world around you. Now, this is going to be really interesting because my PowerPoint has died, and these are a load of blank slides. That's going to make this particularly challenging. So, when we think about this idea of imitating I just want to ask this question of you it takes an active positive decision so this week what are you going to do how are you going to seek positive influences in your life what are you going to identify as something that would be helpful and beneficial to you as you seek to follow Jesus I know at the start of the year I spent a bit of time every day reading praying and looking at my bible Life gets incredibly busy, and it's easy to squeeze that down into your daily Bible reading done at 200 miles an hour. Whereas actually, if you spend time in that, that stuff starts to shape and change you and transform you. So maybe this week, do a bit of a spiritual MOT. Even this afternoon, say, what am I spending my time doing? What influences are there in my life? Are there things I need to actively stop doing and things I need to actively start doing so that's what influences us my next question is how do we then influence others the church in Thessalonica Paul says is having an influence across its entire region I was thinking how could community church have a bigger influence in our city and our region and do we therefore need to turn Fee and Carolyn and the band into a brand that we can then sell their records all over the world so that everyone can listen to them and be influenced. I think it's a great idea. Or, do we need to turn Pete into a celebrity pastor? Do we get him some snazzy glasses and a fresh haircut and a waistcoat and give him a podcast that he can then spread his wisdom to the entire world and have influence? Well, obviously the answer to that is yes. Or do we need to become a bit of a megachurch with thousands coming to hear a crack team of preachers and service leaders and a wonderful worship band. Well, the problem with that is that's effectively becoming celebrity influencers. That's playing the game the way the world wants to play the influence game. That's all about celebrity and how you use celebrity to get what you want. But you look at the life of Jesus, and I would argue that actually the call of Jesus for each of us is to be an influencer by living the Jesus way. Not the celebrity way, not the social media way, but the Jesus way. And the Jesus way is a lot harder. The key principle of living the Jesus way is this. I As I, so you. You can go through all the Gospels and look for this phrase, this concept, where Jesus says to his followers, As I did this, so you should do this. It's almost as if it's in the, it's it's kind of in the Lord's Prayer as well. uh, May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as in heaven, so on earth. As so. One writer calls this correspondent imitation. The idea that we are to imitate Christ. As he lived, we should live. As he acted, we should act. And the reality of that is when you then compare the life of Jesus to that of celebrity influencers, Jesus' story isn't one of an upward trajectory of more and more and more fame and success. It's actually a road to a cross marked out by suffering and pain and sacrifice. And what if actually Paul is saying the way we influence the world is not so much about how we are successful, but it's actually more about how we handle suffering and the tough times so it's interesting in verse six he says you became imitators of us and the lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering one of the guys that he had left behind in thessalonica shortly after paul escapes this guy is dragged from his bed by a mob dragged in front of the authorities and accused of rebellion against caesar now the romans had one approach to rebellions against Caesar, kill everybody in sight, without exception, and in fact, just to be sure, kill all their families as well, and then anyone else they've spoken to. So for Jason, dragged out of bed in the middle of the night, this new faith that he had discovered and found, it was incredibly costly to hold on to following Jesus in the midst of that situation. But Paul goes on to say, it's not just about hanging in there. He talks about having joy from the Holy Spirit in the midst of the suffering and tough times. That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? It You might be thinking, okay, Paul, that's easy for you to say. But the interesting thing is, in chapter 6 of Acts, Paul ends up in prison. He's badly beaten, wrongly accused. He shouldn't be there. And what do we find him doing in the middle of the night? we find him praising God, singing hymns. And I think there's a link that when life is tough, when we are suffering, there's something about praise that lifts our eyes from our situation to God. And it lifts our hearts from pain to joy. There is the possibility of finding joy, even in the midst of difficult times, as we find the ability to praise God. But that takes a choice the last thing to say is, how do we influence the way we're at, world around us? Well, living the Jesus way, being able to hold on to God, to find joy in the midst of the difficult places and the hard times. But the other way we can influence the world around us is living ready for the Jesus day. And this is one of the key principles in Thessalonians, this idea that ultimately Jesus is going to return. And I think it makes a huge difference to us as followers of Jesus if we think He's coming back one day at some point. In other words, I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to think about it. I'll just kick it into the long grass and not give it any thought. If, however, I was to say to you right now, I know with 100% certainty that Jesus is going to return tomorrow, how would you do today differently? How would you do this afternoon differently? If he wasn't coming until five tomorrow night, how would you do work differently tomorrow? There's something about the expectation of Jesus's return that changes the way we live. It changes our priorities. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we think about comfort, the way we think about our possessions. Because this is the challenge. I've been challenged by this reading through Thessalonians, is that ultimately constantly pushing the Jesus return question further and further away, today, my comfort, my life, becomes a more dominant voice. That ultimately, if one day he's going to come, so it doesn't matter really what I do today. If, however, I start to think, what if he comes tomorrow? How am I ready today? It begins to change my priorities. My personal comfort becomes less important holding on to my possessions becomes less important. A lot of the things that we think are so important, so full of anxiety and worry for us at work or in our family lives, suddenly aren't unimportant, they're just less important. And so I think there's something about if we genuinely want to see the world transformed by Jesus, it takes a people who have an expectation he is coming back and that expectation then changing the way we live today and transforming the way that we act and the way that we behave so influence is an active thing we need to get active in choosing how we are being influenced sorry about this the it looked beautiful right i just want to put it out there this powerpoint was beautiful It looked fantastic. I had highlight. It just, it was was special. Um, I may even include it in my email just so that you can all see it because it was that good. Um, And it has failed miserably with this tech. But yeah, so the, the final thing to say then is who's influencing you? Are you even aware? And what active steps can you take to make sure the influences coming into your life are positive and helping you imitate Jesus? And then the next question is How are we having influence in the world around us? How do we live the Jesus way as we wait for the Jesus day? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your your son. I thank you for the way that he stepped into our world to demonstrate, to live a life so we could see what it means to live the Jesus way. And Father God, I just pray that you would help us build into our own lives those influences that lift us up, those influences that help us grow that fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that contribute to our peace, our well-being, that enable us then to live with influence in the world around us as we respond to suffering in a way that countercultural. And Lord, I pray as well you would help us to live with an expectation of your return, that Lord, we would know you are coming back, and that Lord, as we live here, we would do it in such a way that our priorities and our lives are transformed and changed, that you would be the priority, that seeing others come to know you would be a priority, that impacting the world around us with your peace and grace and goodness would be a priority. Will you help us, I pray. Amen.